quite unusual. Hello and welcome to the Quite Unusual Podcast. I am Nicole. And I am Noelle. And if you're new around here, we are the people who host this podcast. See how I specifically didn't say hosts? Hosts. Trying to like stray away from that. It's so hard to not say hosts. I know. Because it seems like a normal word and then you say it and it's like. I think I, I think I broke it. I think I broke the word. You did. You pointed it out, and ever since then, I'm like, I can't say this word anymore. I'm so sorry. Gotta get more creative with my intros, man. Hosts. <laughs> Start beatboxing. <laughs> I would, but I can't beatbox. But um, anyways, uh, we spoke about the movie Old on our last podcast, I believe. Uh-huh, yeah. We brought it up. Um, so I thought it would be a really super good idea if... I watched the movie because both neither of us had seen. Yeah, but a bunch of people asked us, and I had to be like, "No, we never no. actually watched it. Sorry." Yeah, so I thought it would be really fun if I watched the movie and then came back, and then for this intro, we could actually talk about it. Did you watch it? Um, I tried. Okay. So I thought that, like, I searched on Prime. It, like, you can't buy it. You can't rent it. It's only in theaters. Okay, COVID, whatever. Yeah, I know. Kind of sucks. But anyways, I also wasn't too keen on paying like $20 for it just to watch like for in my rental? home. Yeah, that's what they're doing now. Movie tickets are like $5. Well, because you're not going into the theater. I don't know. Like some of them are just super expensive. I guess it depends on the movie. I don't know. But so I searched old in on my Amazon Fire Stick, realized it wasn't up there, did a couple Google searches and found that it's only in theaters but when i searched the word old a movie did come up i'm so excited a movie what? called no country for old men and i forgot how much i fucking love that movie okay luckily we're sitting sort of far apart so you can't physically harm me don't don't even say what you're gonna say i've never seen it <gasps> oh that opening monologue by Tommy Lee Jones. Ugh. I wouldn't have, I have no idea. Just kills me every time. You said Tommy Lee Jones and I pictured Men in Black. So that's how little he's, I he's have. He's got the perfect monologue voice too. So if you could just picture oh, yeah. that sweet, sweet, gravelly with like a hint of some like Southern accent. All right. Well, if we wrap up recording, which we're recording a couple episodes today mm-hmm. um, and it's not sleepy town time. Oh yeah. I will watch it tonight. And I will report back to you. Oh, it's so good. So I turned that movie on, but um, I also forgot that movie's like three and a half hours long. What the fuck? Well, it's a Cohen, the Coens, you know, that's oh, what they do. Yeah, it's the, the Zack Snyder cut. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't finish it, but I mean, I've seen it before, but I just forgot how much I loved it and figured I should bring that up because we are now a movie podcast. Movies are life. Nicole's wearing a shirt that says written and directed by Quentin Tarantino (laughs) right now. I am. I totally am. He's another (laughs) one of my favorites. And, uh, well, your feet are some of his favorites. So he can can look at them. He can touch them all he wants. Just give me Kill Bill volume three. That's all I ask. Would you like Quentin Tarantino touch your feet? Yeah, hell yeah. I, I also would do that. <laughs> like, you want to you want to put them in your mouth? Go ahead. I don't give a shit. Yeah, sure. You're, you're Quentin Tarantino. Pay me, though. You got to pay me. No, it's chill. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> to have your toes. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino? It would be an honor. It would be an honor. Yeah, dude. If so. he was like, wow, your toes are so suckable, I'd be like, you know what, QT? <laughs> have at it. 
Go ahead. All yours, buddy. That means I'm just as beautiful as Uma Thurman. Yeah. In his eyes. Well, he has a beautiful wife now, too. And a, a, new, a new baby boy. Oh, yeah. Guess what he named his baby boy? Uh, Tintin Quarantino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. No, he did it. Um, he named his baby Leo. That's a cool name. And you know how, like, Leonardo DiCaprio is, like, one of his actors? Yeah. I'm like, is he just, like, obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio like everyone else in the world? It makes sense. Because I'm here for it. I just watched Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And um, he's such a good actor, dude. He's so good. He's, like, so fucking good. Yeah. And he has, like, one award. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, they did, like, that movie was good, but, like, he's had so many other roles where he should have gotten it. Incredible. Like, yeah. uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape is, like, <sighs> unbelievable. You know that when he went to the red carpet? Because he was a new actor. Oh, yeah. The reporters and people on the red carpet actually thought that he was mentally challenged. And when he was on the red carpet, they were like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's incredible. If you guys haven't seen yeah. it, which I'm, I just want to tell you, um, if you haven't seen it, uh, mom was mad at you. What are you doing with your life if you haven't seen that movie? I'm, I'm a little disappointed. We're a little disappointed. You're a little, yeah. Yeah. And you're, you. you're upsetting your parents right now. <laughs> mom and dad are mad. Mom and dad are mad. Um, no bedtime kiss tonight. <laughs> so go watch it. But... This is an Owl Movie Podcast, um, mm. specifically a Quentin and Leo podcast. This is a Leonardo DiCaprio appreciation yeah. podcast. So, so if you were hoping to hear anything else, um, maybe uh, I, we can help you. Listen to our backlog, because you're not yeah. getting anything new from us. Nope. Nope. Except Sh- just kidding. <laughs> should, we, should we talk about our topic for today? It's oh, not yeah, Leonardo yeah, yeah. DiCaprio. No, 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 it's not. We're just kidding. What if we pranked everyone and we put a different name, but really this whole episode was about Leonardo DiCaprio? People would be very angry, but probably get about 80% of the way through before they're like, all right, I don't yeah. think they're going to talk about it. Do you think they'd be angry if we talked about Leo, though? No. I think he's pretty universally loved by everyone. You know what? I'm just going to put this out there. Let us know. <laughs> we'll fucking start a Leo podcast. Leo, yeah. We can call it um, Leo, Leonardo de Podcastrio. <laughs> Team Podcast. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He was my first crush as a child growing up, so. Was he really? Yeah. In what movie? Um, Growing Pains. Oh, yeah, dude. I lo- like, he was my favorite. He was like the bad boy on Growing Pains. Yeah. Um, well, and then also Romeo and Juliet. My parents oh. let me watch that, and they probably shouldn't have. But I, I also watched they let that me watch so everything. So uh-huh. I was obsessed with him in that. Are you kidding me? He's such a heartthrob in that. Movie. Oh my god! Like, it, like yeah, I was in love with him. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. he was probably like my first like male crush yeah. all day. Probably my first poster on my wall in my room. Oh really? Yeah. No way. Yeah, probably. I would say. <laughs> so I had a picture of Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween. Laurie Strode. Wall. Yeah, dude. And mm. one of Hanson. Hanson. I hated Hanson. I was not so on the Hanson boat. That's where I was as a child. Those were my only posters. <laughs> the only posters. The only posters. And then like one of like a horse majestically running through a field. Of um, course, because you're a horse girl. <laughs> and here we are. I only love men with long hair, Jamie Lee Curtis and <laughs> horror movies and horses. So actually, yeah. Checks out. All right, let's talk about murder. Anyways, <laughs> this week we are talking not about our old crushes from back when we were children, but we are talking about the first 
Australian woman to be sentenced to life in prison without parole. Mrs. Catherine Knight. Catherine Knight. We don't really come across many female murderers, but when we do, they are pretty damn brutal. I'm so stoked for this, dude. This episode combines my all-time three favorite things. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Australian accents, which you will hear so much of. You love. You love that. I love them so much. Um, I've been practicing a lot. And actually, shout out to Bronwyn. Bronwyn! Our Australian listener. Mm -hmm. She helped me at like five in the morning our time, (laughs) so I don't know what time that was. Probably like 3 p.m. or something their time. Um, we were sending audio clips back and forth, and she was helping me work she was. on my accent. <laughs> so shout out to Bron and Shireen and Poppy. We'll give it to them. Yeah. Okay. So it involves Australian accents, cannibalism, mm. which you know. You love a good cannibal. I fucking love a good cannibal. <laughs> and hashtag girl bosses. Mm, girl boss. Girl boss. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Born on October 24th, 1955 in Tenterfield, Australia, Catherine Mary Knight would come to be known as one of Australia's most brutal murderers and, as you said, the first woman to be sentenced to life in prison without parole. Also, she's a fucking Scorpio, so honestly... Makes a lot of sense. It doesn't not check out. (laughs) Yeah. She was born to Barbara Ruhan and Ken Knight, who are some very fucked up people. Just going to put that out there. Mm, Do tell us. Catherine was conceived when her mother was cheating on her then husband with Catherine's father. The gossip rocked their small conservative town and the couple was looked down upon because of this. Barbara met Ken through her first husband. They were friends and they were co-workers. I would like to assume that this was her husband's very, very best friend. And then he, like, stole Barbara from her because it just adds to the drama. And, you know, I love a little, like, reality show moment. Yeah. So she met this guy through her husband. Yeah. They were coworkers and friends. Sketchy. I love it. She also had four children with her then husband, all of which were boys. This affair ended their relationship, but Barbara didn't skip a beat at all. And she married old Ken the moment she was divorced from her last husband. Nice. I like her style. Because of the huge societal backlash of this cheating, Barbara and Ken felt that they were forced to leave Aberdeen, their hometown, and move to a nearby town called Moore. None of Barbara's boys went with her. Instead, the two older boys moved in with their father, and the two younger boys moved in with their aunt in Sydney. With their aunt instead of their mother? Yeah. She didn't want them. Weird. Barbara and Ken had children together, including a set of twin girls named Joy and Catherine, which I think it's amazing that Catherine Knight's twin sister is named Joy. Oh, the irony. They should have just named her, like, terrible or something. What's the opposite (laughs) of Joy? Misery? (laughs) Misery. They name her Misery. (laughs) They also had two more boys together, Shane and Charlie. When Catherine was four years old, Jack died, and his two sons, who had been living with him, moved in with Barbara and Ken. Their names were Neville and Barry. Neville Longbottom. Their names were Neville Longbottom and Barry. (laughs) Their relationship was an unholy nightmare, dude. I just want to put out um, just a little quick PSA on rape. Yikes. Okay. There's going to be a couple PSAs in this episode. Okay. 
Ken was extremely violent, and he would beat the shit out of Barbara and the children at the drop of a hat. He was a raging alcoholic, and he was said to drink from the time he woke up to the time he passed out on the couch in the early hours of the morning. That sounds exhausting. How do you even stay awake that drunk the whole time? I, I don't know. I There's like, you got to build up to it for sure, but I, yeah. I had I more, do it. had more than two beers on Friday, <laughs> and I slept for like 19 hours straight. So <laughs> last night I drank three-fourths of a bottle of wine by myself and I slept <laughs> till like 11 yeah, this so, <laughs> we're not made to be alcoholics no ken was also extremely sexually violent there were a few sources i saw that said that her parents would have sex right in front of their children what but it seems from context clues that mostly it was just ken raping barbara <gasps> in front of their children what yeah oh my god Their father would sometimes rape their mother up to 10 times in one day. And the children were there for fucking all of it. Just like out in the open in the living room? Yeah, dude. Anywhere. Jesus. Anywhere. Catherine's mother told her that that's just the way that life is for women. And Um. she would also weirdly tell her daughter very intimate details of the sex slash rape with her father. Um, Boundaries. Come on. Straight up did not have them. Yeah, this is... Not a very fun environment to grow up in. But Catherine's mother hated men, so I don't really get why she put up with it. Well, I can see why she hated men, because the man that she was with was Mm. raping her ten times a day. Yeah. One one article I read said that when Catherine was older, she went to her mother like later in life, saying that one of her partners wanted her to basically like do a sex act that she didn't want to and she felt really uncomfortable doing it and like went to her mom for advice right and her mom said quote put up with it and stop complaining what the fuck no that is the wrong advice well that's the advice that sweet little Catherine got when Catherine knight was a child up until about the age of 11 she claims to have been the victim of sexual assault from multiple family members Mm -hmm. but for some reason she always denied that it was her father so doing it her brothers then? i i don't know uncle part of me feels like how was it also not her father yeah he doesn't seem like the type who would be against that like not to like call someone a raper without proof but i mean we already know we've already established that he is a raper so right what's so... to stop him from grabbing Catherine? but she was always very adamant it wasn't him hmm She was beat and sexually assaulted regularly in her extremely ill-tempered household. We will see later on that this sort of crossed a wire in her head between sex and violence that she'll just straight up carry for the rest of her life. Interestingly, from all accounts, when Catherine was small, she was very, very sweet Mm -hmm. and just like like a cute little girl. And she loved animals, never hurt them. But she did start to bully other children. She usually picked on smaller kids in her class, too. So I'm just going to say that's probably something she learned from home. Oh, totally. I mean, my best friend and I just had this conversation because we both grew up with older brothers. Mm -hmm. And we came to the realization that we might have been bullies in elementary school. (laughs) Probably. I feel like sometimes I was also a bully. Because you had an older brother, too. It just goes down the line, man. Yeah, it's like trickle-down bullinomics. (laughs) so Catherine would tease little kids but once it did escalate into physical violence 
she was slapping, punching, pinching, and pushing this little child. Oh. You know, the old S routine. The the classic like S triple P. You're slapping, you're punching, oh. you're pinching, <laughs> you're pushing. This p- I've never heard of that before. What? Did you just make that up? No. <laughs> you totally just made that I up. I did not make that up at all. It's a, a thing. All right, I'm going to take a poll then. Well, don't. On our Instagram. Just trust me. Okay. <laughs> When she was 13, she went to children's court for a minor charge, but she received a bond on good behavior. And I just want to say, children's court sounds like a super cute TV show and not like juvenile detention. Yeah. It's like uh, along the same lines of the Gary Busey uh, pet court. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I fucking love Gary Busey, dude. We used to talk about him so much. I know. I miss him. I miss him. We should get a poster of Gary for the wall. We should. Catherine's father, Ken, worked at a local slaughterhouse, so obviously she looked up to her dad, and she also wanted a job as a butcher. The family had moved around a lot for her father's work. You know, he was like a traveling butcher, I guess. A traveling butcher? No, I don't know. I made that up. But they, <laughs> they moved around like a fuck ton, dude. I don't know why. Couldn't find Maybe out why. because he was an alcoholic and like was being run out of towns because he was the town drunk yeah like he couldn't hold a job or he (laughs) was a traveling butcher i don't think that's a thing (laughs) it's kind of a nice spin on it traveling butcher (laughs) Mm -hmm. they lived all over queensland and new south wales eventually they ended up back in aberdeen in 1969 nice when her father (laughs) found work as an abattoir at the local slaughterhouse abattoir is just like a really fancy way of saying that you butcher animals yeah i know when i was doing my research for this too i had to look it up because i was like what is that and it's just like basically you're a butcher like if you don't want to say that you cut animals up for a living you're like oh me i'm an abattoir a traveling abattoir of course course. world-renowned when Catherine was 16 she dropped out of school to work her dream job which she described as her dream job Mm. At the local slaughterhouse. Ah, yes. They called it the Meatworks. <laughs> if you say I'm an abattoir at the Meatworks, that sounds so much better than I'm a butcher at the slaughterhouse. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it makes, puts a little fancy twist to That's it. That's like, I feel like Meatworks has to be the name of at least one restaurant in Brooklyn. <laughs> Meatworks Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't completely unheard of at the time. It was normal for kids to drop out of school and start working to support their family when they entered their late teens. So she starts working at the Meatworks alongside her sister, her brother Charlie, and her father, and she absolutely fucking loves it. Her job was to debone animal carcasses, and she was super good at it. She worked with mostly men at the slaughterhouse, and she said that she had to learn to be tough. Catherine was known to challenge anyone in armed combat. (laughs) Yep. With her boning knives, basically out of the blue. I actually sort of love it, so. She, she, would, she had this cool trick, which I'm not making up, okay, where she would toss the knife back and forth between her hands, uh-huh. and she would step, like, backwards and, like, this weird, like, <laughs> are you picturing this? Yeah. Like, this, like, low, like, bent knee, like, back it's and like forth. like an intimidation tactic? Yeah, like, tossing, like, her knife back and forth. <laughs> and she would chant. You call that a knife? (laughs) So, unsurprisingly, no one wanted to have a knife fight with this 16-year-old fucking deranged girl. She was 16 at the time? Yeah, dude. (laughs) 
You know, like, when you go to prison, you have to, like, kill the biggest guy there? That makes it so much better, though. Yeah. Just, like, this, like, feral child coming in. You have to establish your dominance right off the bat. You cold and gnaw and just, like, crouching. I'm picturing her hissing. She's definitely growling and snarling. Oh, she's f- fully baring her teeth. So she, unfortunately for her, never got to fight someone at work. Mm. Her proudest moment was when her job issued her a set of razor-sharp knives of her very own. She took them home, which is a little weird, but okay. I mean, I'm not here to judge. And Yep, I'm, you do you. Tools of the trade. She would, however, play with them constantly. <laughs> she would eventually come to wish them good night. Uh, it's a little weird, but once again, you do you. And later in her life, she would keep them in either her bedside drawer or... Hang them from hooks above her bed so that they would, quote, would always be handy if I needed them. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's pretty good logic, but I don't know, like, above your bed. What if they fell? Yeah. I don't know. It's not a good time. Catherine had been very close to her sister Joy and her uncle Oscar, who was a renowned horseman, and Catherine talked about it quite often. A horseman? Oh, yeah, like, he was, like... He was like a cowboy, basically. Oh, so that's like horse girl, horse boy, horse woman, horse man. Yeah, like when you're a child, you're a horse boy. When you grow up, you're a horse man. <laughs> okay. That's how I just works. wanted to get that. Well, it's straight. called horsemanship, like when you like <laughs> commune with horses. You know what? Fucking watch Horse Whisperer and get back to me. You'll understand. So are you not yet... <laughs> You're not a horse girl, but you're not yet a horse woman. Not quite a horse girl. Not yet a horse woman. <laughs> okay. Is that what Britney Spears was talking about when she That's wrote that in the song? 100% what that song is about. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she was best friends with her uncle Oscar, the horseman, <laughs> until 1969, nice, when Oscar died by suicide. Oh. Catherine claims that Oscar would visit her in ghost form frequently and that they remained besties. Oh, that's kind of fun. It is kind of fun, and I don't not believe her. Yeah. Catherine Knight was what I think we could probably call today learning disabled. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a kind of a safe assessment here. Yeah. She was never able to read despite being in school until she was 16. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. She was at 16. Mm-hmm. Okay. Never learned how to read. And she could barely write her name only. Could not write anything else. Wow. Her IQ was also extremely low and she seemed to lack all common sense. Like, where a normal person wouldn't hang a razor-sharp knife above their head when they were sleeping. (laughs) Catherine was like, I should do this. Sounds like a good idea to me. Mm -hmm. Sounds sounds quite nice. (laughs) But she did find something that she loved and that she was very, very good at, which was butchering animals. A job that she would hold for most of the rest of her life. In 1973, when Catherine was just 18 years old... She fell in love with a railway worker named David Kellett. David was 22 years old at the time, and Catherine moved into his place. David and Catherine's relationship was an interesting one, to say the least. David was a very heavy drinker. Oh, damn, dude. That's actually being nice. Uh, David was an alcoholic. Okay, so you know how they say, like... You marry someone that's like your parents. Yeah. Literally. Yep, exactly. David had a rough life as well. 
he worked for the railway company, and during his time working there, he witnessed some pretty fucked up shit, which led him to drink himself into a stupor every night. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll give him a break in yeah. that case, if he yeah. had, like, trauma. Yeah. So David's best friend was killed in front of him in a shunting accident. What is shunting? Shunting is when you push a train car, like, off the main line or pushing it from one track to another. That's what Google said, at least, because once again, I'm not a train conductor. So if that's wrong, let us know if let you're us, a train conductor. To all of our train conducting listeners, first off, very cool job. Yeah, Second, I like cool. your overalls. And third, is this what this is? <laughs> Please let us know. Well, that's what Google said. So David also witnessed a train hit a school bus full of kids. What the fuck, dude? Killing six children in 1968. And he actually helped rescue the remaining children. And he also had to help remove the bodies of the kids who had been killed. Okay. That's a lot. That's why he drank every night. Uh, I don't blame him. Yeah. David's drinking eventually led to his firing from the railway company because he would get so drunk he would fall asleep while driving, which is not great. That's not great. David then got a job at the Aberdeen Abattoir, a.k.a. the Slaughterhouse, where he became good friends with Catherine's brother and eventually was introduced to Catherine. I just want to go over the Abattoir thing one more time. That sounds like so fucking beautiful. I know. Like, Doesn't it sound like a building with like a lot of glass and like oh, beautiful yeah. plants inside? Oh, yeah. And like that beautiful like copper on the outside that yeah. like kind of turns green. It's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. It's a Slaughterhouse. No, they murder pigs there. <laughs> yeah. Catherine and David's relationship was tumultuous. Catherine, as we know, was a little spitfire, and she would often back David up in any drunken fights he got into. Hey, man, get you a girl. Bar fights with dudes? Catherine was there with her fists, ready to defend her man. I wouldn't get into a bar fight. I know. Doesn't it sound super (laughs) rad? Yeah, let's go full David and Catherine one night. Hell yeah. Catherine also had a bit of a reputation. She was tough as nails, and she was known to start shit with anyone who made her angry. So, I mean, my kind of gal. Hashtag girl boss. In 1974, just a year after meeting, Catherine and David got married. The couple, at Catherine's request, of course, arrived at their own wedding on Catherine's motorcycle. And you bet your sweet ass, Catherine was the one driving, and David hung on to her waist behind drunk as a skunk okay that's kind of fucking dope as Isn't hell that metal dude. i'm picturing Catherine with like it's a full-on intense like 1970s big poofy ass wedding dress with a leather jacket she's got to be wearing a leather jacket and like biker boots Fuck she yeah. has like a cigarette hanging out of her mouth david is fucking wavering in the bitch seat okay she's like david you better hold on it's a really great visual. Let's just put it that I, way. It's amazing. I was cracking up when I was doing these things. I had no idea, dude. I want someone to draw this for us. <laughs> I want to hang this on my wall. At the wedding, Catherine's mother gave David a warning. And she told him, watch out. You better watch out with this one or she'll fucking kill you. Why aren't you doing the accent? I can't do one. Do you want to so read it? You're so good at it. <laughs> no, watch out. You better watch out with this one. She fucking kill you. That wasn't that good, was it? That was good. Go with it. 
stir her up the wrong way or you do the wrong thing and you're fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her, which means cheating on her. Mm-hmm. Or she'll fucking kill you. <laughs> she told David that Catherine had something loose in her head. And she said, she's got a screw loose somewhere. <laughs> on the wedding night, Catherine also tried to strangle David to death. Wasn't an accident. Well, we're off to a great start here. No. But this was because David had only had sex with Catherine three times. And then he fell asleep. In one night. And she wanted more. So she tried to kill him. Strangle him. All right. So he's pissed drunk because he showed up to the wedding <laughs> yeah. drunk. And she, you know, he's just like fucking off, like off it, I mean, dude. Yeah. Three times. I mean, good for him, man. Hey, dude. Whiskey dick is not <laughs> running in David's family. No. Their marriage was violent, to say the least. Catherine beat the fuck out of David. On one occasion, David came home late. So Catherine hit him in the cheeks with a scalding hot iron. What the fuck? Leaving a print of the iron's pattern across his cheek. That's not great. Nope. One time, Catherine burned all of his clothes and his shoes and then hit him over the head with a frying pan because he came home late from a darts competition because he had won and gone to the finals and therefore had come home later than he said he would. So she lit all his clothes on fire. So she burned all his shit. And hit him with a fucking frying pan. Yeah, basically. Is this like a sitcom? Uh, a super fucked up one, but this yeah. This is super sad, and also I hope he won. <laughs> and he came home with a trophy, and like Catherine slapped it out of his hand with the frying pan. <laughs> she probably did. Domestic, di- domestic abuse is not funny. No. We're not laughing at no, that. No, no, no. We're trying to make light of this fucking it's insane it's unhinged dude it's unhinged unhinged behavior david was forced to run away from catherine and ended up collapsing in a neighbor's yard so this is after the frying pan burning clothes incident so he's running away from her he ends up collapsing in a neighbor's yard and the neighbors called the police and then david was taken to the hospital and treated for a fractured skull. She broke his fucking head? She did. Police wanted to charge Catherine, but she convinced David to drop the charges because at the time of this assault, Catherine was extremely pregnant. Hashtag girl boss. Tough as nails. In May of 1976, Catherine gave birth to her first child named Melissa Ann Kellett. Catherine didn't really give a shit about her baby, and a short while after their first daughter was born, David left Catherine for another woman and moved to Queensland to be rid of her violent outbursts. Yeah, no, that that tracks. Yep. Yeah, I do do Mm -hmm. the same. Can't blame him. Mm -hmm. This obviously upset Catherine, and the next day she was seen pushing the poor baby around Main Street, violently shaking the carriage from side to side. Oh, no. Catherine was reported and was sent to St. Elmo's Hospital in Tamworth, where they diagnosed her with postnatal depression. And prenatal insaneness. (laughs) And she spent a couple of weeks recovering. Catherine was released, but a short while later, she had another episode where she grabbed an axe from a neighbor's yard and was just seen swinging it around the neighborhood, attacking anyone who came near her. Do you know who I am? I'm Catherine Knight! 
Her baby was nowhere to be found, and it was later discovered that she had put her newborn child on the train tracks, just sitting there waiting for the next train to come by. Bro. Yeah. That's really fucked. Thankfully, a kind neighbor named Ted Abrahams, also known around town as Old Ted. Oh, I would trust Old Ted. Yeah. He found the baby on the tracks just minutes before a train (gasps) was scheduled to come by. Oh, my God. Catherine was arrested and admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital once again, but she ended up signing herself out the next day. Okay. That doesn't seem like a thing you should be Mm. able to do when you leave your baby on train tracks. Yeah. It's not great, right? Yeah. In another violent episode, Catherine got into a screaming match with a 16-year-old girl named Margaret Macbeth. Catherine sliced poor Margaret across the face, and Margaret was sent to the emergency room and received stitches. Okay. Catherine had demanded Margaret drive her to Queensland to find David, which Margaret agreed to. Okay. Wow. So the pair stopped at a service station. A servo is what they call me. Where Margaret escaped from Catherine and ran away and called the police. When the police arrived on the scene, Catherine had a young boy as her hostage and was threatening him with a knife. Okay. Are you fucking kidding me? I know fully. I know none of this information. <laughs> it's the best. And you, you're reading it to me. You're just so shocked by every sentence. That it's I like say. when I think something's insane enough, she leaves her baby on the train tracks. Wow, it's like the worst a person can do. She basically kidnaps Margaret and yeah. makes her drive her somewhere. Yeah. And then when Margaret's like, "Actually, I don't want to be your hostage," she's like, "I'm just gonna take this other guy as a hostage." It's, it was a little boy. This is fucking. It wasn't nuts, a guy. It was dude. a little boy. This is like, I don't even want to believe it's real. So the police were able to disarm Catherine because they attacked her with brooms. Oh, her one weakness. It was very specific that they attacked her with brooms. And she apparently drops the knife and let the boy go. I don't know. She's so scared. She's so scared of brooms. (laughs) It's her one fear. And Catherine was sent to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital for a psych eval, which don't know why this is the first time they're doing that. Where she told them tales about how her husband, mm. David, physically abused her. Yeah, you're probably not, like, projecting or anything on that, Catherine, right? Oh, yeah, not at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Also, she told the nurses at the hospital that she had planned on killing the mechanic at the service station because she believed that he had repaired David's car, and that was how David was able to finally leave her and get away from her. Okay. She also admitted that if she found David... She planned on killing him and his mother. <laughs> okay, and then let me guess. Uh, she was just allowed to check herself out the next day. <laughs> Pretty much. When David was informed of this whole incident, he decided there was only one thing to do about Catherine. That is, go leave his girlfriend and live with his psycho wife who wanted to kill him. Okay, that was the one solution. I'm going to say, David, uh, if you're listening, that was the bad choice. Yeah, it's not great. No, I would do the opposite, actually. I'd probably, I'd probably move farther, farther away. Yeah, I'd stay. I'd stay away from her. She was going to kill the man who fixed his car (laughs) because it allowed him to drive away. But she didn't even know for sure if that man had fixed the car. Like, I get get the logic, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm seeing where she's coming from here. Yeah. But. (laughs) There's a big but. 
Holy fucking shit, dude. She's yeah. like, all right, he either came from the mechanic or he came from his mom. I'm going to kill both of them because I know it was a starting point and one point in his life and he left me and I just can't have it. And then he fucking came back? Yep. He's like, oh, you know what? You're right, Catherine. Maybe if I'm with you, you won't kill all these people and leave my baby on train tracks. There's only one thing to do. <laughs> Maybe we could be happy. Yeah. This well, is yikes, bro. On August 9th, 1976, Catherine was released to her mother-in-law. The one she wanted to kill. The mm-hmm. one she wanted okay. to kill. And the three of them, so Catherine, her mother-in-law, and David. And the baby? And the baby. Yes, okay, the okay. baby was there. They moved to Ipswich, where Catherine got a job at Dinmore Meatworks because the woman loved her meat. I think she just likes to cut things. Yeah, I think she just likes blood and guts. Yeah. Pretty much. On March 6th, 1983, David and Catherine had another child, a daughter named Natasha Marie. Their relationship continued to include Catherine's rage-filled episodes But in 1984, Catherine decided she had had enough. Right. Checks out. Mm -hmm. One night in 1984, David came home from work to discover that Catherine was gone. She had packed up everything she could grab, as well as their two daughters, and moved back to Aberdeen to live with her parents. Oh, yeah. Okay. What? She left him? She left him. That's pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah. Good for David, dude. Yeah. Finally got out of that mess. Catherine went back to working at the abattoir until injuring her back, and she was put on disability and was given a housing commission house in Aberdeen. In 1986, Catherine met a 38-year-old miner named David Saunders. They called him Sondo. Did they? Yeah. So (laughs) my favorite thing about Australian nicknames is that it's just your name with the O at the end. So, like, I already call you Nico, right? Yeah. So, like, that would be your nickname. And then mine would be... No-O. <laughs> No-O, I guess. Maybe they call me, like, Krupo or something. Krupo. Yeah. How do... They're the coolest nicknames. That's I'm, like, cute. obsessed with Australian slang. It's so good. <laughs> David, the second David, of course, moved... David Do. David Do. Moved in with Catherine and her two daughters, but he still kept his apartment in Scone. Like Catherine's relationship with the first David, David Kellett, her relationship with the new David, David was just as rocky. Catherine would accuse him of cheating on her and would often throw David Saunders out. So I guess thank God he kept his old place. But she would always come crawling back to him, begging him to come back. And he always did. I want to just bring something up right now. Um, so she was dating a David. Married mm-hmm. to a David. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, I want to find a man, but I don't want to learn a new name. <laughs> so she just found she had, another yeah. David. She just learned how to write David, too. So Yeah, she, yeah, and that's five letters. So, like, that's a lot for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I get it, man. I get it. You gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> you gotta do it. She has carved K plus D forever on everything she owns. <laughs> so she can't change so it. So she had to at least go with someone whose name started with a D. According to David's, so David do, <laughs> according to David's ex-wife and others who knew him, David was a nice man and was very rarely violent, but not according to Catherine. She accused David of abusing her, 
specifically stating one time in 1987 when she claimed that he punched her in the stomach while she was pregnant with their daughter. Wow. So we don't know if that's true. Takes a fucked up person to do that. He said, she said. Catherine claims that this is why, and this part is very rough, especially for me. Okay, should we just do like a little PSA on... PSA on animals. Skip forward. Abuse. So, this is why Catherine says she slit the throat of David's (gasps) two-month-old dingo puppy in front of him. Oh my god, no. But David doesn't remember it like that. He said that Catherine did it to show him what would happen if he ever had an affair. A fucking two-month-old dingo puppy. How do you slit a puppy's throat? I just, I can never. Does she fucking cuts up animals for a living? I know. I know. I feel like it's probably, like, just normal. She left her fucking baby on train I tracks. I know. For her, it's it's probably not a thing. But That's for fucking nuts, dude. Yeah, I know. It's sad. In June of 1988, Catherine gave birth to her third daughter named Sarah, and David Saunders put a deposit down on a house for the family, which Catherine ended up paying off with her workman's comp. Hashtag girl boss. Girl boss. Catherine decided to decorate the house in, I guess we can call it, urban moto taxidermy chic. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what we're going to call it. Uh, she covered the walls and the floors with animal skins. Okay. Animal skulls and horns. Of course. She also decorated with animal traps. That doesn't make sense. Leather jackets. Oh. Old moto boots. Wow. (laughs) Machetes, rakes, and pitchforks. Okay. I was with you until the rakes and pitchforks. Just picture this house in your head. Somebody call Joanna Gaines. This place needs a little shiplap. As if that weren't enough for David number two to move out. He stayed with her until she hit him in the face with an iron and then stabbed him in the stomach with a pair of scissors. And then David was like, I'm done. And he moved back to his apartment in Scone. Look, all right. I don't like your eclectic decorating style. It's not my type. I don't really like it. But I'm going to have to draw the line at you stabbing me with my scissors. (laughs) You know for a fact those are my fabric cutting scissors. And now they're just, they're not making clean lines. And I'm having uh, quite a bit of trouble with my quill. So I'm going to have to leave you. His fabric cutting scissors. Yeah, man. He made drapes for their apart, for their house. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that they weren't made of animal skin enough. And she couldn't figure out what cotton was. And she's like, is this the skin of a plant? And he had to describe to her how cotton grows. And she wasn't getting it. Mm. And it was just like, he was exhausted. <laughs> it was a lot for him. Then the rakes and the animal oh, traps. Oh, that, that was a lot for him? That that was a lot for him. And then the iron to the face was really just the, <laughs> the straw that broke the camel's The cherry back. on top? Yep. Mm-hmm. But as always... Catherine begged David to come back, and he came back. But when he came back, he found out that Catherine had cut up all of his clothes. And then that was the final straw for David, because he was really just a fashionista at heart. Now, Catherine, I don't want to get mad, but you already ruined my favorite scissors. (laughs) And now you've ruined all the clothes I made. And now um, I'm quite mad. Uh, I won't lie to you. Because uh, now I have no way of making my new clothes. Because my scissors are ruined. And uh, you you ate all of my sewing needles. So I don't know 
I don't know about this anymore, Catherine. I don't know. David number two took a service leave and went into hiding in order to escape from Catherine's clutches. She spoke to everyone they knew, but no one would give up David's hiding place. Hell yeah, dude. Good friends. Yes. After a couple of months, David couldn't stay away from his daughter, and he came out of hiding to find that Catherine had gone to the police and issued an apprehended violence order against David because she told them she was frightened of him. Dude, what a fucking psychopath. Yeah. When David number two left... Catherine also vandalized his car and overdosed on sleeping pills and was admitted to a psychiatric hospital once again. And then something happened and she got better and she got the psych care she needed and we're ending the episode now. The end. (laughs) Celebrate the strange and keep it unusual, folks. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) No, that's not how it happened. In May of 1990, Catherine was released from the psych from psychiatric care, and a while later got herself a new man, 43-year-old John Chillingworth. She tried to call him David for a while, but he wasn't answering to it, (laughs) so she had to learn John. Yeah. John was a recovering alcoholic, and by 1997, Catherine had given birth to her fourth child, this time a boy who she named Eric. Like Catherine's other relationships... Their time together was not pleasant, and John admits to actually fighting back and hitting Catherine in one instance where she smacked him in the face so hard that she broke his false teeth and knocked his glasses off of his face. Holy shit, I would have hit her too. Yeah. Their relationship lasted three years, though, until Catherine left John for another man she had been having an affair with. Another John, actually. Okay. John Price. Okay. Um, I mean, I get it. Sometimes it's really, it's just hard to remember a new name. Mm-hmm. So she lucked out. She got David. She got David, too. She got John. She got John, do. <laughs> she did. And, you know, I got to give her credit for that. She's good at finding men with the exact same name. She is. It's mm-hmm. one of her many talents. It's one of her few talents. That and butchering animals. And killing puppies. And just a, a whole plethora of things. Yeah. Imagine holding an iron. Come on a journey with me. Um, <laughs> hold an, a hot iron, okay? And to have the confidence to swing that iron at a person's face and know you're going to make contact with it. Mm-hmm. That's a level of unhinged I cannot comprehend. Yeah. I'm afraid of irons, of like accidentally touching them. <laughs> Like, if I use an iron and it, like, obviously, like, it gets hot, I will Mm -hmm. leave it out for a full 24 hours to make sure that it's cool by the time I have to touch it to put it away. Well, imagine getting hit in the face with one. I am going to throw up in my mouth right now. (laughs) So after hunting down another man named John so that, you know, she didn't have to remember another name or scratch off all the... K and J's. Yeah, the K plus J forever that she wrote on everything. She turned the D into J somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she's <laughs> she doesn't know how to read or write, so it, it made sense in her mind. Mm-hmm. She began dating, as you said, a man named John Charles Thomas Price, or Pricey, as everyone mm. called him. Another fun nickname. I love it, dude. Pricey was a miner at the Australian Pacific coal mine, and he absolutely loved his job. 
He was just a few months older than Catherine, but a solid six to seven inches shorter than her. Previously married, Pricey had three children. The youngest lived with their mother, and the two older lived with him in the home that he once shared with his ex-wife at 84 St. Andrew Street in Aberdeen. If this story was made into a movie, I personally would cast Mark Duplass in the place of John Price. Oh, okay. Why is that? Have you seen John Price? No. Please Google him. So just so all of you know what I feel like he looks like. I cannot think of someone for Catherine Knight, though. She's just the craziest looking person. Yeah, it would have to be something where it was like a monster situation where it had to be a really pretty actress that just Uh like transformed herself. Oh, yeah. So you're right. I would cast um, Scarlett Johansson. Mm -hmm. I was thinking Amy Adams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got, like, that gingery thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah She could true. do it. That's true. She's a good actress. Percy had a reputation for being a, quote, terrific bloke and, quote, a great provider for his family. <laughs> and everyone that knew him genuinely liked him. When Catherine and John got together, they seemed pretty happy. Despite Pricey knowing about Catherine's extremely violent tendencies, he sort of liked her. Plus, by all accounts... She was a complete freak in the sheets. <laughs> That's why everyone stayed with her. That has to be the only reason why. Dude, at, like, okay, so I was watching, like, this little documentary about her, and basically they interviewed, like, all the boyfriends that they could. Yeah. And they were all like, yeah, she was fucking nuts. <laughs> That's why they all stayed. But get her in the bedroom, and she was fucking nuts. Yeah. And they just, like, went into a trance, and they're like, I got a boner. <laughs> Like, she was supposed to be, like, fucking change your life. Like, well, why do you think everyone's... She left every single one of those men that I just spoke about. (laughs) In two of them, she hit in the face with hot irons. Yeah. They kept coming back, man. Hey, dude. Fucking freak in the sheets, murderer in the streets. Nice. In 1995, Catherine moved into Pricey's little brick house. And things continued to be all right for a while. As it was described by him, life was a bunch of roses, Mm. but roses have thorns. That's what they would say in like the murder documentary, (laughs) right? It'd be like, but roses have thorns. Yeah. His kids did like her. They went to parties together. And aside from the brutal screaming matches and random stab wounds all over Pricey's body, (laughs) they were pretty good and pretty happy. Yeah. I mean, she would stab him and then they'd go to the bedroom and everything would be okay. And then he'd stab her. Oh. You know what I mean? Nice. Talking about his penis. (laughs) That is until 1998 when Catherine asked Pricey if he would marry her. He said, not a fucking chance, saying that he (laughs) didn't want to get married and that he was just fine with their relationship. And the reason he was in it was because the sex was so good. All right. Obviously, Catherine got quite mad. Which I think anyone would if you were like, hey, we've been together for like, I don't know, three years. Um, Do you want to get married or whatever? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I'm just in it for that sweet, sweet ass. I'd be like, you don't want to lock this down, bro? Even though I stab you only a couple times a day? I only stabbed you twice last week. So you're Come welcome. On. Yeah. It's called romance. Fucking Ever heard of it? Rub some fucking dirt on it and meet me in the bedroom in 10. But he was like... No, (laughs) I will not marry you, Catherine. Don't do this. So obviously, like I said, that made Catherine super mad. Because like, I mean, thanks for the compliment, right? Like good in the sack. But 
Sometimes mama wants to get married. Yeah. So Catherine did the only thing that she knew how to do. She retaliated in an extremely unhinged way. (laughs) Remember that Pricey loved his job at the mine? Yeah. Well, he had been there for quite some time, and it was a huge point of pride for him. John Price was also a very frugal man and really good at saving money anywhere he could. One day, he saw someone at his job throwing away expired first aid kits. He decided that he would go back before the end of the day and he would take them home because waste not want not, right? Threw them in the garbage. Well, Catherine took out her little video camera, which had become one of her prized possessions, which, I mean, it was the late 90s and -hmm. that sort of technology was like dope as hell. Hell yeah. I loved my parents' video camera. I would make like little movies all the time. It was so sick. Yeah. So she takes out her little video camera and she films the expired first aid kits in Pricey's home. She then gives the video to Pricey's boss saying that she knows for a fact that he stole the boxes from work and he was bragging about doing so. It's diabolical. (laughs) Can you imagine if this was like the worst thing she ever did? (laughs) This is like the best thing she's ever done. (laughs) This is the nicest thing she's ever done to a person. So with this move... John Price lost his job for stealing from work, a job he had had for 17 years. Jeez. Along with this, he also lost his full pension in retirement. Mm. That same day when Pricey came home, he kicked Catherine out of his house. He was tired of her shit, dude. Tired of having to explain why he had bruises and weird stab wounds that he really couldn't explain. And now she had taken this source of income from him. And it was, like I said, a huge point of pride in how he supported his family. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, she didn't fight this at all. That doesn't sound on brand for her. Nope. Maybe I'm thinking because the town of Aberdeen was super small with like a population of just under 2,000 people at the time. Holy shit. So everyone in the town was kind of like, like you would know if someone got thrown out or whatever or like. You know, so maybe she just moved out to, like, not cause a fuss, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe, just maybe, it's because she was planning something so terrible that she knew that she would get him back for kicking her out. Yeah, I'm going to go with the second one. Yeah. Catherine and Pricey started banging again, though, in a few months (laughs) because they always come back, don't they? Can't stay away from her. That's right. I mean, a little hottie with a body like Catherine Knight. (laughs) Look her up. Let me know I'm wrong. This time, though, Pricey refused to let Catherine move into his house. So she, they just wanted to date. You know, it's like when you're mm-hmm. dating someone and, like, they're like, look, I want to be with you so bad. I want to live with you. So they, like, kick you out and, like, ask you to, like, go live somewhere else. But, like, you can keep dating. Mm-hmm. It's exactly like that. Okay. So they're fighting constantly. And then it starts to get violent. John Price gets a deep stab wound in his chest that he claims is from getting too close to Catherine while she gestured with a knife in her hand. Oh, so it's his fault? Yeah. He, he got too close to her. He, he fell on the stairs. It's he got hit fault. by a doorknob. It's my fault. Yeah, I guess she was known to, like, hold a knife in her hand and, like, gesture around with it, which seems pretty <laughs> on brand for her, to be honest. Yeah, I could see her doing that for yeah. sure. And she's like, well, he got too close. That's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> And Pricey's friends also started to distance themselves from him because they couldn't take Catherine anymore. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, if your friends hate your partner, please listen to them. Yes, please do. Yeah. In February of 2000, a fight between the two got so violent that she once again attempted to stab him in the chest. Catherine then told Pricey that the house actually belonged to her, 
but she would let him have it back if he paid her $10,000. <laughs> she said, and he was like, no, get the fuck out of my house. It was his house though, right? Yeah, but she vacuumed once, which was pretty much her oh, logic. Okay. So she's like, I'll lock this house. It's mine. You gotta leave. Mm-hmm. Catherine refused to leave. And then Catherine told Pricey's eldest daughter that her mom had been sleeping around when she got pregnant, and Pricey probably wasn't even her dad. What psycho. And then she claimed that Pricey's children had molested one of her children. And that was the final straw for the Prices. Good. His daughters, Rosemary and Rebecca, told Catherine that if she didn't leave, they were calling the cops. And then they broke her favorite plate. It was just something that I read. And she was fucking pissed about it. It was like a plate that she left there. And Rosemary was like, I wonder whose plate this is. Could this be yours? Catherine's like, you know, it's my fucking plate. What are you doing, Rosemary? She's like, oops. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And Catherine's eyes rolled into the back of her head. (laughs) She's like, that's my favorite plate. My knife's like it the best. So at this point, Catherine was just like, she just gave up. She left. She was angry as hell. But she was thinking that she was going to get revenge on Pricey and she was going to get what she wanted like she always did. This time, though, Pricey took defense and he took out a restraining order on February 29th against Catherine, barring her from seeing him or his children for the foreseeable future. Good. Pricey began to tell his friends and family that if he didn't show up for work, it was because Catherine had finally killed him. Pricey also thought about skipping town, as his friends and family were begging him to do, but he knew that Catherine would find him. Plus, he was afraid that she would murder his children. So instead, he just went home, where everyone knew that he would be. The night of February 29th, 2000, which was a Tuesday and a leap day. I looked it up. I don't know why, but that seems like some kind of omen to me. Like, this is leap day? Yeah. I don't know. John Price came home to find Catherine Knight had arranged a sleepover for his daughters at their friend's house. John Price went to his neighbor's house for a few beers that night, and then he went home around 11 p.m. to go to sleep. In the meantime, Catherine Knight did some super weird-ass shit. She went to her daughter's house, and she spent time with her grandchildren. She even recorded them telling each other that they loved each other and how important they had been to her, which sounds super nice, But by all accounts, this was the very first time she had ever shown affection towards her daughter or grandchildren. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't didn't she, like, even love her kids? She kept having them, but that doesn't mean she loved them. Yeah, this was the one that she left on the trade tracks. (laughs) So (laughs) she's like, let's just just get this in video about what a good grandma I am right now. She then took the new black lingerie that she had purchased that day, and she brought it over to John Price's house. She let herself in while Pricey slept. And she sat in the living room for a while and watched a little TV. Then she took a shower, changed into her sexy lingerie, and woke Pricey up. They did the old bangaroo, and John Price fell asleep next to Catherine Knight. And right now, um, things are going to get a little murdery. Murdery? Yeah, like really, really gruesome murdery. So if you get sick of this thing about like, if you don't like cannibalism or like, I don't know, maybe like, skinning human beings or something <laughs> yeah um, probably skip this part yeah maybe skip forward a little bit but if you can handle it you let me know yeah all right so for those of you that are still listening this is how it went down Catherine took one of the knives 
that she kept in their bedroom, you know, one of her bedroom knives, and she sat on Pricey's chest and proceeded to stab him over and over and over as hard as she possibly could. From the evidence that was found later on, Pricey must have woken up and tried to run from Catherine. <sighs> he tried to escape down the hallway as Catherine stabbed him in the back. It is speculated that Pricey made it to the front door and he was able to open the front door due to the blood found on the exterior of the doorknob. It appears that he was then either dragged back into the hallway or crawled back into the hallway where he died. This is such like a like a cinematic, like I'm picturing this like as like a movie. Mm-hmm. And it's just like creeping me out right now. John Price's body was left in a pool of thick, deep blood. All in all, he had 37 stab wounds, some plunging deep into his internal organs. Then... Catherine leveled up. She decided a few... Yeah, exactly like that song that you make protein shakes to. (laughs) She decided... (laughs) She decided a few hours after she murdered Pricey that he had a little too much skin for her liking. Oh, okay. So she took her skills as Aberdeen's best abattoir and she set to work. She sliced one clean line down his arm... (gasps) down his side, down his leg, and back up the other, ending only after she sliced all the way around his face. Then she began to slowly peel back his flesh, removing his entire skin in one piece, aside from a chunk of skin with thick hair attached that had been thrown aside. Oh, this is like Buffalo Bill shit. It's kind of impressive. It is very impressive. Disgusting, but impressive. Yes, both of those things are true. When she was done, she hung his skin up by a hook in the doorway like a curtain. No! Mm-hmm. I read that you could still, like, make out his face. That, like, that was John Price's oh, face. like leather face? Uh-huh. Like, oh. oh. I didn't know you could actually do that with a face. Yeah. They do, like, face transplants now. But, like, t- to take it clean off like that? I yeah. didn't. Oh. I mean, look at, like, a, like, an animal's taxidermy. Same deal. Yeah. Then, taking her boning knife, she found the space between two vertebrae in his neck, and she cleanly decapitated Pricey with very little effort. <gasps> Remember, she was the best there was. It's true. She, with, was she using her favorite knives, too? Yeah. I'm assuming. Babe, you know she is. She's <laughs> using Reginald. I always trust Reginald to pop off my boyfriend's heads. He's quite good. It was then that she propped Pricey's skinless, headless body up in his favorite chair. Weekend at Bernie's style. <laughs> did she put sunglasses on? No, but she did put his hand on top of, like, a bottle of soda. Like, he was going to drink it. <laughs> and she, like, yeah, she, like, put his ankle, like, on his knee. Like, he was, like, sitting cross-legged. For real? And, like, yeah, fully. Oh, absolutely. my God. Mm-hmm. So, again, yeah, very Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> but, like, really fucked up. Then she took his head and she put it in the biggest stock pot she could find. And she made a damn fine soup. She put in chopped potatoes, pumpkin, beetroot, zucchini, cabbage, and yellow squash. Of course, what is a boyfriend head soup without a side of roasted rump roast? Oh, no. So she did that, too. She took Pricey out of his chair. She cut off a big piece of Pricey's booty meat, and she popped it in the oven. When it was nice and tender, she took the drippings and she made a gravy. In the meantime, she set the table. Two play settings, one for each of Pricey's kids, even including little name cards. 
gross. She took the time to learn how to write their names, Nicole. That's how serious she oh was my, about this. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, dude. Holy crap. Yeah, she, she had this planned. Fully. She plated a big piece of rump roast, some cheek meat off of his face, and some veg up on a plate. And she placed them in each place setting. And then she plated a third meal. Some articles I read said that the meal was for Catherine and she ate some of it, but like couldn't finish. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. Do we know if she ate actually ate anything or is it just like speculated that she ate? It's just speculated, but okay. we, we don't know for sure. Mm. I don't think so, personally, yeah. because the meal was found, plate and all, thrown into the backyard. Which I think was symbolic. Like, that's what she thought of him. Like, only good enough for dogs to eat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go that route, too. Yeah. After this display of affection, she swallowed almost an entire bottle of sleeping pills. And she laid on the couch in some lame-ass, half-assed suicide attempt number due. <laughs> Catherine then left a handwritten note, which I'm very impressed by on the table on top of a photo of Pricey that read, Time got you back, Jonathan, for raping. This is riddled with typos. It's actually spelled rapping. My daughter? Uh, daughter is spelled D-O-U-T-E-R. You to Beck, which is Pricey's daughter, for Ross, for little John, which was his son. Now play with little John's dick, John Price. I have no idea what that means. So, like, Did she, she cut his dick off? I didn't read that, though. Didn't she skin his dick? I think she, she skinned, skinned his him. dick. Yeah, because it, I guess a dick is... There's no bones in there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably hanging up in the doorway, right? Yeah. <laughs> the note had little pieces of human flesh and blood all over it. Gross. On the morning of March 1st, 2000... John Price did not show up for work, so a co-worker came to his house to see if everything was okay. Remember, he told everyone. Yep. When they showed up, they noticed blood on the front door, and they immediately called the police. When the police showed up, they found a grisly scene. There was blood all throughout the house, and in the lounge, they found John Price's head. In the kitchen, they found the stew and the cuts of human meat. Police found 63-year-old Catherine Knight also in the home, but she was dazed and confused from taking all of those sleeping pills in an attempt to die by suicide. When she was questioned by police, she told them she didn't know what happened. All she could remember was that her and John had had great sex that night and that they both climaxed. Wow. She meant she, like... Made sure that she added that part in. They oh, yeah. Both yeah. climax. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm hmm Congrats. Yeah. Catherine was hospitalized, and when she recovered from her suicide attempt, she was charged with the murder of John Price. It was also discovered that after murdering John, Catherine had gone into Aberdeen and withdrawn $1,000 from his bank account. So I did, um, when I talked about the $10,000 earlier, I did an exchange rate from the year to the current year in Australian dollars and then over to American dollars. Uh -huh. And it's virtually identical. So about $1,000 is 10000 No, Is it like 1000 American dollars now? Oh, okay. Yeah. Catherine was evaluated by psychiatrists to see if she was mentally fit to stand trial. They deemed that she was. 
She told them she didn't remember anything, and they didn't believe her. Yeah. She told them that she was sexually abused by her brothers when she was a kid, and that her parents beat her, and... These were other claims that they weren't really sure were true. They were very skeptical of all of this. Well, I mean, she doesn't seem like a very trustworthy person. Yeah. So, yeah. Catherine was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which they said caused her to have these frequent violent outbursts and mood swings at the drop of a hat. Catherine first tried to plead guilty to manslaughter, but given the nature of the crime... That was rejected. Yeah, how do you accidentally skin someone and turn them into soup? Yeah, you don't. Instead, she pleaded not guilty, and her trial was set for July 23, 2001, but was later pushed to October 15, 2001, due to her lawyer being sick. Okay. Also, this is super recent, which is kind of freaking me yeah, out. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Well, recent, I mean... 20, for, for us, 20 years I guess. ago. It doesn't seem that long ago, though, <laughs> I know. does it? Well, yeah, 2000 doesn't seem long, but it, it was a pretty long time ago. <laughs> While picking a jury for the trial, Judge Barry O'Keefe gave the 60 people brought in the opportunity to excuse themselves due to the extreme nature of the case and the photographic evidence that would eventually be presented at the trial. But only five out of the 60 people dismissed themselves. I wouldn't. I sure shit would not either. The next day, Catherine's lawyers spoke with the judge and changed their plea from not guilty to guilty. And then the jury was dismissed. And they were all like, oh. Oh, man. The judge adjourned the trial and ordered a psychiatric evaluation of Catherine to make sure that she understood what entering a guilty plea really meant. And just to make sure she was mentally fit to make that decision for herself. That's really, I mean, really great, Yeah, honestly. Catherine's lawyers had planned to build her case around the fact that she had amnesia and disassociation, even though she was considered sane by the doctors who assessed her. No one knows why Catherine decided to change her plea. There has never been a reason given by her, but even so... Catherine was still not willing to accept her punishment and take responsibility for what she had done. Because during the trial, her lawyers petitioned for her to be allowed to be excused for parts of the trial to spare her from having to hear facts about the case being retold. And this was denied. Yeah, no shit, dude. Yeah. You committed this crime, now you have to face it, basically. Yeah. When investigators took the stand and started describing how Catherine decapitated and skinned John Price like an animal, she became hysterical, and they had to sedate her. Okay, I'm rolling my eyes right now. Yeah, yeah. On November 8th, Justice O'Keefe decided that the nature of Catherine's crime was so brutal that Catherine should be imprisoned for life without the possibility of parole. That's such a good move, dude. Yeah. Judge O'Keefe stated about John Price... The last minutes of his life must have been a time of abject terror for him, as they were a time of utter enjoyment for her. Yup. He said, The only appropriate penalty for a prisoner is life imprisonment and that parole should never be considered for her. The prisoner should never be released. Fuck you, Catherine Knight. (laughs) I think you're a stupid bitch and honestly, I would never eat your soup. Okay, that last part was just a little add-on. Just want to make that clear. 
but let's be honest, he was probably thinking it. Hashtag girl boss. This was the first time that a woman in Australia was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In June of 2006, Catherine tried to appeal her life sentence. Her reasoning was that she thought that life in prison was too severe for the crime that she had committed. Oh, dude, are you shitting me? The balls on this one. The fucking confidence. <laughs> the audacity. I know. Her appeal, of course, was dismissed, citing that her crime was an appalling crime, almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. They stated she should never be released because she posed a serious threat to the security of society. Oh, come on. Wasn't I paid? Or didn't you get paid? (laughs) I think I'm going to have to agree with that. Catherine has never expressed any remorse about the crime, nor has she apologized for any of it at all. Catherine remains incarcerated at the Silverwater Women's Correctional Center, which is a maximum security prison in New South Wales. I wonder if they ever put her on kitchen duty. I mean, her knife skills are world-renowned. Her soup's not that bad either. (laughs) Gross. Actually, I read that she is in a cell by herself because they're afraid she would kill her cellmate. Yeah. Same. And also, she walked in on day one and was like, I'm Catherine fucking Knight, and if you don't fucking respect me, well, I'll tell you what I did. And basically, she, like, runs the fucking prison, Yeah, I would put money on the fact that she probably does. Like, no one's fucking with Crazy Kath. No (laughs) one. I don't know if they call her that. I'd like to think so. Um, But, yeah. Anyways. That's the story of Catherine Knight. Our first girl boss murderer. Girl boss murderer. All right. I'm sure you guys have noticed that we have been doing fun little listener segues sent in by, well, our listeners. You guys. So if you would like to do one, which we hope that you would, you can say virtually anything. Yeah. Um, as long as it in turns into some sort of amalgamation of this is listener mail coming up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Say whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Mention listener mail, please. And email it to us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. So, without further ado... Tragedy struck the small town of Cape May when a large vessel came down from the sky and disintegrated a... One second here, I have a announcement from my producer. It appears we have a listener lore from Quite Unusual, and we will send you over to them. This week's listener mail comes from Veronica W., In 2010, I had a dream of my paternal grandmother, whom we call Nana. This was not a manifested dream by thinking of her or talking about her that day before. I hadn't done either, so I know that it was her will to visit me, and she had a message. I dreamt that I was at my Nana's house, and she was showing me a project that she was working on. She had planned to make my dad a scrapbook for his birthday. She was going to fill it with photos from the day that he was born until he turned 18. She had categorized gallon Ziploc bags by his age slash the year. One particular bag stood out, and it was ages one to two. In the dream through the bag, I got a close-up of one specific baby photo of my dad. In this photo, he has big chubby cheeks and curly hair. He was also wearing suspenders. Aww. It's such a cute picture. Like, she, she sent it to us. Aww. In this photo, he was raising his arms in the air, and he had something in one of his hands. I woke up the following morning and was reminiscing about the dream. I thought the detail was interesting, and then I realized the date. It was my dad's birthday. 
But wait, it gets weirder. My dad uploads a baby photo of himself on Facebook. Which one? Funny, you should ask. The exact one that I had just described. I know you're thinking, wow, what a coincidence, but it gets weirder. Weirder? Up until the moment I saw my dad's Facebook post, I had never seen that photo in real life. Meaning the first time I saw the photo of my dad that is actually in existence was in my dream. What? I'm convinced my Nana was coming to me to ask me to relay a message of happy birthday to my dad. Mm. I'll add the photo for your enjoyment. It is fondly known in my family as the Chub. Aww. How sweet is that? That's adorable. That's a that's a that's a fun like. Usually our no. listener lores are like, oh my god, I have goosebumps. That's so creepy. That's right? like a cute like aw one. It's so sweet, dude. Yeah. So shout out to Veronica and her dad and her nana. Nana, we know you're listening. <laughs> If you would like to share a fun story or a scary story or really any story with us, please send it to quiteunusualpod at gmail.com or you can always slippery slide into our DMs to tell us a story there. Yeah. And if you like what you hear, you can rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We also have a Patreon if you guys would like to join um, to help support the podcast, help support us. We have a couple tiers to choose from. And we also have a new member of our coven that we'd like to welcome. Yes. Welcome, Lauren A. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon coven. Welcome to the coven. And as always, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Bye. It's me, Kather <laughs> Knight, saying goodbye right now. That's right. Bye. And this is the part of the show where we give support to our all-knowing leaders, supporters of the podcast, and all-around benevolent beings. Spencer W. started making his own cheese. What kind of bacteria does he use in the process, you might ask? Well, of course, the fungus from in between Bigfoot's toes. It has an especially nutty flavor. If you just pick out the brown hairs, it's quite delicious. Mm. To Tim M., who ended up in the land of Oz after being swept up in one of the most recent tornadoes, turned out that the Wicked Witch of the West was actually in charge of infrastructure, and the whole place is really going to hell without her presence. Mm. I hope you picked up those ruby slippers, though, because they are gorgeous. So cute. Savannah L. created a hot air balloon capable of lifting an entire city block, giving a whole new meaning to the term high-rise apartment. <laughs> Good one. To Samantha P, a tenant in a building that was lifted up by a hot air balloon. <laughs> she was She was just fired from her job because I guess being trapped in the outer stratosphere is not a good enough reason to take a day off of work. Mm, I'm sensing a connection here. Is I don't there know. something going on uh, whatever. I don't know. Lauren R was struck by lightning while using a treadmill. Lauren developed super speed as a result. Unfortunately, they don't know how to stop moving and have been running for seven straight years. Oh my. Every once in a while, you can feel a gust of wind you swear was calling out for help. Is that why I was eating a granola bar and then all of a sudden a gust of wind came by and my granola bar was gone? I believe so. Oh boy. To Kaylee O, through their research, they have discovered that the rising sea levels have led to the Bermuda Triangle to change shape slightly. The Bermuda rhombus, though, it 
just doesn't have the same ring to it. Mm, no, no. Jess H., inventor of the ant farm. She originally proposed the farm could be used as a sort of penal colony by shrinking offenders down and putting them in the ant farm to serve out their sentence. Oh my god, could you imagine a teeny tiny Ed Gein? Mm, adorable. Cute. To Evan K., who was trying to get fit by using one of those old-timey exercise belts that just kind of, like, vibrate your waist for mm, a long time? Yes, yes. Well, he used it for too long, and now his hips don't lie. Mm. It's a real problem, though, because his hips are telling all of his deepest, darkest secrets. Well. KTT bought brand new ghost hunting equipment for her recent trip to a semi-demolished haunted school. When she turned on her device, she found that the spirits remaining were actually huge high school musical fans and just wouldn't stop singing. Oh, no. She left, annoyed, because she can't get we're all in this together out of her head. That honest, I would leave too. How annoying. Mm. To Adam Kay, who managed to dive deep into Loch Ness, he found Ness's lair where he found a note for Ness's housekeeper, stating that she would be back soon from her vacation in the Gulf of Mexico. Mm, that's where she's been all these years, huh? Christina N., a witch with a love spell too powerful for her own good. Everyone she meets now falls madly in love with her, and she's feeling a little suffocated. Too much of a good thing can do that, though. Oh, she's just so beautiful. Who wouldn't fall in love with her? Mm. To Kelsey C., who's known to fall into deep trances and use her automatic writing to write hit songs. Remember All Star? Oh, yes, I She do. wrote it. What? Purple Rain? Yes. She wrote it. No. Baby Got Back? Of course. You guessed it. Kelsey wrote that one, too. No. Thank you to all our coven members on Patreon. Without you, we are nothing. We are not worthy. We are not worthy. We're not worthy. I don't think so. We're not. I don't think we're worthy. Um, yeah, I'm going to say no. Yeah, no, definitely not. Mm -hmm. Definitely not. 